come meet me down here at front. Good morning. Now, you see how smooth this paper is? Hardly any wrinkle at all on it. See how smooth it is? Now, I'm going to do something. Watch very carefully. Ready? Now, how hard is it now to undo this? How hard is it now to get all the wrinkles out? Would it be difficult? Almost impossible, maybe? But you can try. Look, so you can try. and They come out somewhat... But as you see, the damage has already been done. It will never be the same piece of paper that it was before I did that. And it says, before you speak, think and be smart. It's hard to fix a wrinkled heart. So be careful when we talk, because when we speak to somebody, if it's mean words, we do this to their heart. And we do ask for forgiveness, and they accept that, and we say we're sorry, but still, to some degree... Their heart's always going to be affected by it. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, it says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as Christ has also forgiven you. Before we speak, we need to think. This is two little kid sermons in a row I've talked about speaking and thinking. Perhaps God's trying to tell me something. Perfect part for an amen. No one got it. So anyway, let's let's pray. And close your eyes and bow your head and repeat after me. Dear God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Help us to be good boys and girls. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And go back with Miss Tammy. She's right back there. And you go to the... chapter 2 verses 1 through 5 God's hidden treasure so go ahead and open up your Bibles if you will to that that shouldn't be on the screen <laughs> let's start by reading chapter 2 verse 1 for I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf Or another way of saying that, agonized for you. And for those in Laodicea. And for all those who have not personally seen my face. That their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love. And attaining to all the wealth that comes, that comes from the full assurance of understanding. Resulting in true knowledge of God's mystery 
that is Christ Himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this so that no one will delude or deceive you with persuasive arguments or fine-sounding arguments or well-crafted arguments. For even though I am absent in body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and stability of your faith in Christ. Heavenly Father, continue to speak to us through your written word. In Christ's name we pray, amen. BBC News reported in July of 2010 about a British treasure hunter named Dave Crisp. He discovered a huge stash of Roman coins while using a metal detector. And there's a picture of what they look like. They were buried in a field located in southwestern England. Now the silver and bronze coins weighed more than 350 pounds. And at the time of the discovery, it was estimated that it was worth $5 million. This may cause us to dream about finding similar riches. But this begs the question, what should we be in search of? Should we be consumed with finding treasures of silver and gold, or should we be in search of something greater, more valuable? For illustration purposes, there's been a lot of people who've won the Texas State Lottery. And there's been a number of people who've won millions of dollars, but within six months, they went broke after winning millions of dollars. So what should we be after? And that started me thinking, what price tag, if any, would you put upon wisdom and knowledge? I mean, you can win a bunch of money, but if you don't have the wisdom and knowledge how to be prudent with it and invest it, you'll, you'll just fly right through it. What price tag would you put on wisdom and knowledge? You know, the U.S. Department of Education spends billions of dollars in this very endeavor. In 2005, for grades kindergarten through 12th grade, they spent $37.5 billion. Now, that's only a small part of the national budget, but still, $37.5 billion, that's a lot of money. In the year 2019, they spent $40.1 billion on education. So naturally, the next question was, what do we get for all that money? Well, the dropout rate has decreased from 9.7% in 2006 to 5.3% in 2018. Those graduating from high school in 2017 to 2018, that school year, 85% did graduate. However, when you start looking at testing scores, they show little or no improvement. Now, I know there's a lot of stuff about the testing, teaching to the testing, or teaching the kids what they should know. I'm not going to get at all that right now. There's a bunch of information out there. If you're interested, go to the U.S. Department of Education on their website. More information than you want to know. But when you look at the National Assessment of Educational Progress, and you look at the scores of meeting that, now they have the basic 
that a lot of people do well on, then you have what they should know, what a student should know at this level, and then if they exceed it. The percentages are way down. Now, there's lots of reasons for that. But my point being, you just can't throw money at something and expect things to improve. And I started thinking about money spent on education and our education system here in the United States. And we have some faculty and staff here from Forestburg. They do a wonderful job. And I'm sure they can tell you stories about how difficult it is in teaching, in education. But as I started thinking about all that, I looked at this text once again, and I realized there's someone we can turn to who has the priceless gems of wisdom that this world can never afford. And I'm speaking of God's hidden treasure, which is Christ. And look at the text that said, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You look at the text once again, starting off, he says, For I want you to know, Paul's ministry to Gentile congregations included those located in Colossae. Now previously in chapter 1, he has spoken of his ministry in general terms, but he desired to, he desired to strengthen the bond between himself and the Colossians. So he's now speaking to them on a personal level concerning his ministry. Look what he says. I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf. But we're looking at that, how I agonized. And that word struggle emphasizes and underscores the emotional difficulty of non-physical force against strong opposition. Paul struggled because he wanted to see them. He struggled because he was serious about accomplishing his task. He wanted the opportunity to know and encourage Gentile believers. He wanted to do so personally. He desired to be faithful to his calling, and he knew the best way to do that is face-to-face. It's like we've learned this year. We've had Zoom meetings and all this virtual reality stuff, and that's great and wonderful, and you can get a lot accomplished, but there's still something about face-to-face that virtual cannot capture. Uh, Texting is great to get a message out, but when someone texts you, you don't know how they're speaking, if they're emphasizing words or not. The body language, you miss a lot. A lot of our communication is body language. If I still preaching to you like this versus like that, I'm communicating two different things, right? If I'm doing this, I'm kind of defensive, maybe mad. Whereas I do something like this, it's more open and inviting is my point. So Paul struggles. He wanted to see them face to face. He struggled for the gospel and for the faith of believers, specifically Gentiles. It involves his determined, constant, and persistent toil and labor, the intense wrestling for the spread, the growth, and strengthening of the faith. And that was his goal of his mission. As I thought about that, I thought about how do we pursue growth and strengthening of our faith? Do we give our faith as much attention as other areas in our life? And I went off on about an eight-hour thing chasing this one down. 
In 2008, there was an article in Forbes about how much time Olympic athletes practice. It said in that article, quote, they spend four to eight years training in a sport before making an Olympic team. USA gymnast Simone Biles trained 32 hours a week with only one day off. Then there was an article on the healthsite.com, October 23rd, 13. The article was entitled, A Professional Athlete's Fitness Regime. And in the article it said, quote, A typical pro athlete would train around five to six hours a day, six days a week. This might not seem like a lot of hours, but the intensity of the training is ridiculous. In fact, without sounding pompous, an average fit individual would struggle to make it through one of our warm-ups, end of quote. Then I turned to Lifeway. Facts and Trends, July 2nd, 2019. And here's an article, you'll see the graph, how many Protestant churchgoers actually read the Bible on a regular basis. 32% said that they read the Bible personally every day. 27% said they read the Bible a few times a week. 12% said they read the Bible once a week. 11% said they read the Bible a few times a month. 5% said they read the Bible once a month. And 12% admitted that they don't read the Bible at all or very rarely. You see the comparison to which I'm drawing. People spend a lot of time, professional athletes and Olympic athletes, practicing relentlessly. But yet, when we come to something as the people of God that we hold dear to us, it seems like some of us do not take that as seriously as they do their professional sport. In 2016, Lifeway Research Study said one in five Americans said that they read all the Bible at least once. However, more than half said they have read little of it or none of it at all. We're supposed to be people of the book. And just make, make myself clear, as Paul's talking about struggling for them to grow in their faith and the conflict which he had, And yet, here we are. There's problems with our country, but we're still free to gather and to worship. We have multiple translations of the Bible. We have tons of software to help us. But yet, overall, it looks like we don't spend much time studying and struggling. The Bible says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Not work for your salvation, but work at your salvation. Do we realize that we have brothers and sisters around this world who will be persecuted, beheaded, burned at the stake for having one page of Scripture. And yet here in America, we have tons of them, and unfortunately, sometimes they serve as a paperweight more than what it really is. John 17, verse 17, Jesus speaking to his Father, sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. He struggled. He wanted their hearts, he says, that their hearts may be encouraged. 
The purpose of everything he was doing was to strengthen their hearts. Now that word, word translated in courage could also be understood as to comfort. However, in this context, it applies more than just comfort. It's strengthening is a better translation, considering the context. There's no mention or allusion to distress or persecutions. There's no need for comfort. The concern he had was the danger of being carried away by heresy. Their hearts need to be encouraged and strengthened. And that word cardia in the Greek is translated heart, where we get our word cardio. It's not referencing the human organ that pumps blood. It was considered the inner life of a person or the center of personality. It was understood as the source of the will, emotions, and thoughts, and affections. So he's talking about getting at the heart, really, where you're making decisions, your will. That's what he wanted in courage. He says, having been knit together in love, Christ's love for them provided a basis for unity that formed a common bond. And Paul later calls that the perfect bond of unity. Love is the perfect bond of unity. So what binds us together here this morning is the love of Christ that has, the, the love that Christ has for you and for me. That's our common bond of unity. In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. So he wants them to be encouraged or knitted together in love, attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding. That word all is emphasizing the matter of the wealth. It's everything. There are spiritual riches reserved for those who encourage each other, for those who have a strong commitment to the body of Christ. Assurance of cert or certainty was important for the Colossians because of the situation they were facing. They need to have full assurance against the false teaching. Judgment against such teaching can be exercised with full certainty. He's telling them, you can stand up, you know. You're going strong in your faith. I want to encourage you on that. Stand up and have full assurance what you're standing up for is the truth against this heresy. It reminds you of our hymn. Perhaps you've heard it. Blessed assurance. What's blessed assurance say the hymn? Blessed assurance what? Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of what? Glory divine. Would anybody know the last line? Heir of salvation. Purchase of blood. Now, when you turn on that TV this afternoon or tonight, or you catch the morning news in the morning, and you see our what's going on in our nation around the world, you know what you should do? Get a copy of that hymn and then sing right out the TV. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. I'm not going to sing the rest of it. But it is blessed assurance that we have. The Christian faith is not some 
wishy-washy, pie-in-the-sky type of thing. It's based on reality. The cross is a historical event. Jesus' birth is a historical event. He came, he lived, he died, he rose again. It's a historical fact. All these things that we read in the Bible were people that lived and died. The Colossian Christians had dreams, aspirations, just like you do. They had families. They worried about the same stuff we do. They were just like us. God is showing us that he never leaves us alone, that he's constantly working with his creation and through his creation. Resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself. That's a comprehensive statement involving a complete knowledge of Christ. The hidden God appeared in Christ. He explains the mystery. The Christ proclaim among the nations who is the hope of glory. This knowledge is personal. Christ himself is God's mystery revealed. If the question is, what is God like? The answer is Christ. And we cannot know or possess wisdom apart from the personal knowledge of him. So you just don't know there is a God. You can know God. But just not know about God. You can have a personal relationship with God. You can know about the one who created all this and read how he created the world back in Genesis. Read about all the miracles that he did. And you can know him on a personal level. Now, whoever the president is, is not my point when I'm going to say this. But to get to know the United States president on a personal level would be almost impossible for us as individual citizens. I mean, you'd have to go through all the security and maybe get five minutes with them, if that. How about our governor of Texas? What's the chance of anyone in this room having a personal relationship with Governor Abbott? Almost impossible. And I like the guy. Don't misunderstand me, but I'll probably never know him on a personal level. But yet, I can know the very God who created everything that I see, who let those individuals get into office in the first place. I can know him on a personal level. He desires that. And here's another thing. In spite of what he knows about you, he still wants to spend time with you. He still wants to shower you with blessings. He still loves you in spite of what he knows about you. And me too. Think about it. People, we know our family. (laughs) We have Thanksgiving coming up. We, we, we miss our family, but family is kind of a funny thing, isn't it? Because you miss certain family members, and then they all come together, and then about an hour into you, like, I wish they'd go home. We tend to grind each other the wrong way sometimes. But God, even when I totally mess up, completely go against what he wants me to do, I come with a true, genuine, repentant heart, ask for forgiveness, he forgives me. He still loves me and says, Tim, don't give up, I'm still working. What a loving God we serve. Look what he says about Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Since Christ is God manifest, all real wisdom originates in him. 
The false teachers focused on wisdom, but Paul focused on Christ. God in Christ is the perfect storehouse of real knowledge, and that knowledge supremely appears in Christ. In other words, the false prophets back there were talking about having some special knowledge to elevate yourself. To come, you have to have a, a, a divine revelation somehow to get this special knowledge. It's Gnosticism, really what it was. And you see the same thing happen today, just repackaged. The New Age movement, all these other things, talking about, well, you need clear mind and have this special knowledge. What you need is Christ. Because in Him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Treasure in this context, of course, is not referring to material wealth, but spiritual wealth. God has made His sovereign purposes known, and we've seen it by His pastoral of unmerited mercy upon the Jews and Gentiles alike. We've seen what God's purposes is. How about Romans chapter 11, verse 33, where it says, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments, and unfathomable are His ways. We can't comprehend it. And here's the thing we must guard ourselves against. The minute we think about God not being fair or fair or just or unjust, that's limiting to our little finite mind. We can't grasp the things of God. The minute I try to put God into my own thinking, I'm creating an idol, a God that I want, not the God who really is. I mean, God is so big, we'll spend all eternity getting to know Him. We can't comprehend everything that He's doing. Our minds can't, can't grasp it. We can't even grasp the idea of eternity. Think about that. We know, everything we know is, has a beginning and an end, but to talk, talk about Something lasting forever and ever and it's really hard to wrap our minds around that. And it's really even hard to wrap our minds around the spiritual realm because here on earth, this life seems so fixed, so permanent, that once you pass away, that's it. No, when you pass away, it's just the beginning to eternity, to eternal things. Yes, I'm concerned about what's going on. God's working in my heart so much that I'm starting to say, don't so focus on our circumstances. Look up. Jesus is king. He is Lord of lords. You know, we, we quote that a lot, don't we? That one day all knees are going to bow and all tongues are going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You, you realize that's everybody? Everybody who's denied him? Buddha? is going to bend his knee. Stalin is going to bend his knee. All our politicians are going to bend their knee. Everyone's going to bend their knee and cry out that he is Lord on that day. He says, I say this to you that no one will delude you with persuasive argument or deceive. That's the same word that's used in James 1.22 when he tells us to prove ourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves or deceive themselves. So it's great for me to study and to preach and proclaim. But as a believer in Christ, I can't stop at just telling you, proclaiming to you. I have to put in practice in my own life. 
And let me tell you, when I sit down and I study, and anybody who preaches or teaches will tell you this, when you sit down and you start reading through a given text, it's like the text reaches up and just chokes me. I start wrestling with God as God brings the things in my own life and my own heart. Or sometimes, I don't know if Rashonda may remember this, sometimes he may come to the office, I'm in there singing or laughing or carrying on, what's wrong with you, Tim? And I come across this great truth that just excites me, like, oh, yeah, that's right. I'm a child of God. Look what he, look what he says. He, he wants them to grow in the knowledge of Christ. To avoid the deceitful traps of heresy that came in the appearance of deeper theology. But in reality, there are subtle inroads to heresy. So people come to you and say, you know the deeper things of God. You really want to know God, know Christ. You don't have to have a special knowledge. Man, read the Gospels. And as you read the Gospels, then start reading the letters of Paul and Peter and James Look how those New Testament writers use the Old Testament and go back. Because when the Holy Spirit came, it was like the light went off. Hey, now I understand what they meant back here in the Old Testament. The Old Testament was pointing towards the Messiah who is Christ. And that's what Peter told them on the steps of the temple that day. That Christ, that person, Jesus, you crucified is indeed, he is the Messiah, the anointed one of God. And he encourages once again, even though I am absent in body, nevertheless, I'm with you in spirit. He's not with them, but he's aware the danger is real. And if Paul was present, he would deal with this situation himself. But if he was under house arrest, he couldn't. And let me tell you something. That, this is going to be hard to understand. It's more than just telling somebody you're in my thoughts and prayers. He is present with them because Christ is living in them and himself. The Spirit of God has united both the Colossians and Paul and Christ. And the Spirit of God unites all Christians everywhere. So what binds us together, if I'm not personally with Roger up here, I'm still with him in spirit because we are brothers in Christ. It's the Spirit of God that unites us together. Even though I may want to see and visit with him and talk with him, I'm still in spirit with him. That's what binds us together. That's what makes belonging to a local body so important that you're binding together. And what binds us together is more precious and more powerful than anything the world has to offer or could ever offer. He says, I'm rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Their solidarity. Even troubled by false teachers, they're basically still sound in the faith. Look around you. Look what's happened this year. And yet here we are. Still being faithful. Still moving on. Did you look at the bulletin today? Did you see how God keeps blessing us with financial resources? It's because you're being faithful to still give. You haven't given up. You're pressing on. I want to encourage you to do that. I don't care what happens in the election. Our mission has not changed if nothing else we need to gear up more or I'm afraid I'm going to offend somebody so be it tell them with love about the truth of the gospel time is running short 
I'll never forget this. And I, I think I've said this before. On 9-11, I was at school that day at seminary. And after class, my wife called and said, one of our pilots flew the airplane into the World Trade Center. My first response was, our pilots ain't that stupid. Why would you fly a plane into a building? And then I got to the student center, I saw everything unfold live TV like most of you did. We gathered in the chapel building. Supposed to have chapel, and Dr. Kenneth Hemphill was present at that time. He got up to the pulpit, and this is what he said. Time is too short, and conditions are too extreme to continue on with business as usual. And that is true back then as it is today. I don't know when Christ is coming, but I know we're one day closer. Time is getting short, loved ones. And we have to be on point telling people and witnessing to people, not just by what we say, but what we do. Truly be the people who are living by faith and known by love. Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I was still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant or slave to Christ. You share, the, share it in love. But in the day, we need to be faithful to Christ. How, how faithful has Christ been to you? How many times has he's proved himself over and over and over and over again? Not to this as individuals, but to this church. How many times have you thought about giving up? How many times you just thought, that's it, I just can't go no more? But suppose, or perhaps you're like me, when you get to that point, who else can I go? Who else has the words of life? Only you. I can't give up. i got to keep pressing on. And then it's interesting when you get to that point that God will start revealing to you in little ways by comment or something somebody says, wow, he's encouraging me. The Bible is God's word to the world. It's his treasure chest. If we are to find his treasure, we must find Jesus. Jesus is in the Bible. The Old Testament points to him. The New Testament points back to him. As we get to know Jesus more and more, we'll discover the hidden treasures of God. We get to know Jesus by entering into relationship with him. We must be immersed in his word and led by his spirit. The truth of God must be sought earnestly, sincerely, seriously, and intently. Given the same attention as someone seeking hidden treasure, just like Dave Crisp. I mean, do you think he just walked out there flippantly one day with a metal detector walking? Woo, there it is. I'm sure he probably did some research. Probably found some articles written. There's probably some 
Roman coins hidden in this field. So he went out there with the intention on finding something. When we open up the Word of God, we must be intent on, okay, God, what is it that you want me to get? What is it you're trying to tell me? Do you have the same desire or drive or determination to discover the treasure of truth that's stored in God's Word? Are you eager to do it? And I invite you to start digging into the treasure chest of God's Word. We find truth and reality in Jesus Christ. And a personal relationship with Jesus Christ is foundational upon the Christian faith. That's where you start. And I know the Bible can be intimidating. It's a very big book. Actually, it's made up of 66 books. But it tells one big story. Don't let it intimidate you. Break it down. Start with the Gospel of John, perhaps. And go from there. I'll gladly help any way I can. I'm still learning. But my point being, if it just sits there, we never open it, what good is it? Are we going to struggle and content for our faith as Paul was telling the Colossians to do so? So, do you have a relationship with him? Do you know him on a personal? I'm not saying you can know the facts of God. You can know about God, but do you know God here? In your heart, the center of your being, where your will and decisions were made. That God that made all the things that you see, you can know him on a personal basis. He will guide you into all truth. But you have to be the one willing to say, God, I need you, and he will come. You ever done that? Perhaps there's something holding you back, maybe a, a pattern of a, of a sin habit or something you're trying to accomplish on your own, lay it down. Give it to Him. Don't wait till you're cleaned up to come to Christ. Come to Him and let Him clean you up. Or perhaps He's leading you to join us here as a local body, a place of encouragement. And yes, there's going to be a place of accountability. It's going to, you know, because we want to provoke each other. And by provoke, I mean stir up. Are you taking those billows on that flame? Why? I want to see your flame spark up for the glory of God. I need the same thing. I need the same thing. What is God telling you in this moment? And I encourage you, do not walk out of here until you do business with God. He loves you. I cannot begin to tell you the depth and the height and the width of God's love. It's huge. Bow your head and close your eyes. Listen to the voice of God. You know the worst thing you can do is put yourself in isolation. Thinking you're the only one that struggles. Thinking you're the only one dealing with a certain situation or circumstance. Dear beloved, you are not alone. First, God knows. He cares. He wants to help. Second of all, you have brothers and sisters in Christ 
don't let that vicious cycle continue where you feel shameful or wherever it is keeping you back and it's just like a, a you just keep going around and around. In other words, you come in here with all these cares and worries and you put them down, but yet when you walk out the door, you pick them right back up again. You don't have to be like that. Jesus is saying to you right now, all who are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the greatest gift of all, your son, Jesus, who is our Lord and our Savior. Father, I pray for the ones here, the ones who are gathered with us through the internet. Dear God, you know every person, you know every heart, every life, every circumstance, every situation. And Father, I pray that your powerful love will break through every chain, every wall. That your love and your peace will come flooding in over their hearts and their souls. Father, reveal to them the God that I know that you are. An all-powerful, loving, merciful God. That wants to know everybody on a personal basis. May nothing stand in our way. May we respond to you today, in this moment. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me, please?